We've been looking at encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ, close encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at one with the, <clears throat> with the Sanhedrin and the Lord Jesus tonight. And <clears throat> there's an incredible amount of truth and doctrine in what we're about to look at. Uh, <clears throat> um, just an incredible amount in just these few words as he deals with them. Uh, let's read it. We're actually going to read it in two places. We're going to read the same uh, passage in Mark as well, because there are a couple of thoughts I wanted to catch there. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 20 and verse 27. Luke 20 and verse 27. Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny that there is any resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If any man's brother die, having a wife, and he die without children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. There were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took, to her to wife, took her to wife, and he died childless. And the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they all left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now, that the dead be raised, even Moses showed at the bush, when he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us? Help us as we look to your word tonight. Open it up to us, Lord. Help our hearts and open our hearts up to it. And Lord, do a great thing in our midst, I pray tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the Sadducees come to the Lord Jesus, and um, they have a question for him. Now, we're, we're, we're days away, hours, if you like, away from when the Lord's going to be crucified. So they're having their final shots at him now, right? They're getting the final, the final opportunity to have a go at the Lord Jesus Christ and to try and take him down. Now, I should explain this to you. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are totally different, right? Uh, the Pharisees would have been the conservatives, right? The Sadducees, on the other hand, were the liberals. And really, you know, the Sadducees didn't believe anything, but their particular issue is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that it was possible for somebody to, to be resurrected. They didn't believe in heaven and hell. They didn't believe in life after death. Uh, they didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. They didn't believe any of that. Now, the Pharisees did obviously believe all of that. Right? <clears throat> so it was important for the Pharisees and um, not important for the Sadducees. So they get the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to use the occasion here now to show them up. They're intellectuals, brainy people. Right? So they're going to ask him a question that's going to stump him. Right? You know, get the, get the master, and you've kind of you've derailed the whole movement. And that's what they set out to do. So they come with their question, and their question's quite kind of involved for us. First of all, we need to understand this. It's not a sincere question. They really don't want the answer. In fact, there is an answer that they want, but the answer that they want is uh, not the answer he's going to give at all. They want him to be left there with no answer to their question. Right? So they're not really looking for an answer. By the way, it's very important when you ask questions that you want the answer. Don't just ask questions for the sake of asking questions. Don't, don't, don't just ask questions to make yourself look good or sound good. If you're going to ask a question, you need to want the answer to the question. You need to be ready to receive the answer uh, to the question. Right? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so they come to him, uh, and they have a question. Right? 
if any man's brother die having a wife and he die without children, uh, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, we need to check this out because, I mean, uh, I need to let you know this, that you can have roast preacher after the preaching, but my family had roast preacher at lunch today before the preaching because they don't like this passage, all right? Uh, so we need to look at this passage here, right? We have this, this, this girl gets married to a guy, and the guy dies without having children, and so she has to marry all seven of his brothers. That puts a different spin on marriage, doesn't it? You know, first of all, if he's got any brothers... You need to check them all out before you get married because you never know. You just never know, right? Um, but um, somebody said today, it makes her look like a bag of chips. You know, she passed from one to the other like a bag of chips. But I don't think it's quite like that. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 25. Now, Deuteronomy is the law for the Israelites. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. And, and let's get it in context here. Uh, what, what you have happening in Oriental lands was because child, child having children and you know, carrying on the family name was so important, this rule was typical in most of the cultures out there. And the Jews took it on board as well. And what you've got Moses doing... Uh, here, one of, one of the commentators said he's, he's actually regulating it. Right? He's putting a structure on it so that it's not just an automatic thing, so there's a structure on it. Right? Does that make you happier, Val? But Moses is not actually uh, telling them they have to do this, that what he's doing is he's regulating what they're, off, what they're already doing. It's the same when he talks about divorce. It's not that Moses is telling them this is what you should do for divorce. What he's saying is, listen, since people are getting divorced, here's the rules. That we're going to imply in it, right? And um, he's saying the same here uh, in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. Um, <clears throat> if brethren dwell together, one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her, and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be uh, that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. Right? So <clears throat> he's telling them how it's to work. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, okay, so there is choice involved. By the way, there is choice for the guy. Uh, it doesn't say anything about choice for the girl, right? But we won't go there, all right? But there is choice for the guy. And if he like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up uh, unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Uh, then the elders of that city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto, the, unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Right? It's a big shame. Uh, on his family, not just on him, but on his family, because he wouldn't do uh, what was required of him. He wouldn't do what he was supposed to do. So the, the Sadducees have gotten this passage. They've gotten this understanding. It's a part of the Pentateuch. By the way, they believed the Pentateuch. They didn't believe much of, much of the rest of, of what was written, but they did believe the Pentateuch, the early parts of the Bible, and uh, the first five chapters of the Bible. So they believe that. So, so they've, they, uh, they come to Jesus with a question that's going to stump them. Right? And the question is, all right, so listen, <clears throat> she married the first guy, and he hadn't got any children, and he died. 
So uh, according to the law, she married the second guy, but he didn't have any children, and he died. So she married the third guy, and he didn't have any children, and he died. And she married the fourth guy, and he didn't marry and have any children, uh, <clears throat> and she had no children. So, and, so she married all seven brothers. Nobody had any kids. So whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? We have you now, don't we? You haven't got an answer for this one. That, that's, that's kind of the attitude. It's a trick question. It's a question that, that, that they're going to catch the Lord Jesus on, and they're going to catch him out completely. Now, look with me in Mark, right? Mark chapter 12. Verse 13, because we're going to read the same passage here in Mark 12, verse 13. Sorry, verse 18. Mark 12 and verse 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die, and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed, and the second took her and died, neither left he any seed, and the third likewise. And the seven had her, and left no seed, lest last of all the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? And he points out to them, the problem is you don't understand the scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead that they rise not, have ye not read in the book of Moses how the bush, uh, how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Right? Now, what he's saying to them is, you are in error. And the reason you're in error is there's two things you don't understand. You don't know your scripture. You think you do, but you don't. You don't know your scripture, and you don't know the power of God. So he's going to actually open it up for them, and he's going to teach them what the scripture says. But he's going to take it, and he's going to answer them with scripture. Now, in all honesty... You know, you have to give it to these guys. If I was an Old Testament Jew and I just had the five books of the law that I was working from, I'm not sure I'd have got what Jesus is going to say to them. I'm not sure I'd have actually caught all that from, from you know, you certainly wouldn't catch it from, you know, uh, reading your two chapters in the morning uh, while you were half asleep. You, you, you wouldn't catch it there. In order for them to understand this, they would need to be reading intently and paying very close, detailed attention to the words they were reading. But they don't know the Scripture, and because they don't know the Scripture, they are in error. Because they don't know the Scripture, they are in such error that they don't believe there's a life after death. They believe once you die, you die. It's over. It's done. Now listen, if anything's going to affect the way you live, that's going to affect the way you live. If you think there's nothing after this, and you're going to step out of this world one day, and they're going to put you in a hole in the ground, and that's the end of you, it's going to affect the way you live. It's kind of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I mean, why are you concerned about what you do and about how you live? And they weren't. They weren't. They were, they were living like heathen, because that's exactly what they were. They were religious heathen. They were part of the Sanhedrin and everything else, but they were religious heathen. And, you know, we need to understand that what Jesus is saying is, 
first and foremost, there is a life after death. Now, that ought to be natural for us, but we have such a lobby in our day and age that's fighting against it that it erodes our confidence. You know, and you, you, you talk to people out there and they'll say, well, they don't really believe there is a life after death. When you die, uh, you die. Uh, <clears throat> and that's the end of it. It's over. You go on a hole in the ground and it's over. And a lot of people are living like that. Even if they don't believe it when it comes down to it, they're living like they do because, you know, they're just living their lives as though this is it. There's nothing more than this. Listen, there is a life after death. Jesus spoke about it. When you step out of this world, you don't step into nothing. When you step out of this world, you, you don't go in a box in the ground and that's it. Your body goes in a box in the ground. Your body is interred in the soil and your body will rot and your body will decay, but you won't be there. And all of us have looked at the, at the body of a dead loved one and you look at them and it's their body, but they're not there. And the instant thought is, where are they? Where are they? Because they're somewhere, they're just not there. And they are definitely somewhere. Now, the Bible gives us two options. The Bible says either they're in heaven or they're in hell. But when you die, when you leave this world, you will go either to heaven or you will go to hell. Now, if the enemy can, can put you in the place where you don't believe there's, there's anything after this, then you know what? There's no hope for you. Because you're just going to live like it doesn't matter. But it does matter. See, Jesus says this. He says, they that are worthy to obtain that world... Okay, there, 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 there is an element of being worthy. Now, what makes you worthy for heaven? What makes somebody worthy for heaven? What, would, what could possibly make us worthy for heaven? Well, nothing we can do. You see, we've been effectively barred from heaven because of sin. Right? You know, you know um, we've been barred. What they've said is, you listen, don't come around. Uh, you can't come here because of sin. Right? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've, we've broken God's law. We've done our own thing. We've been put in a place where we're barred from heaven. So how are we going to get to heaven? You say, well, I'm going to clean up my act. Get myself together and clean up my act and do right and live right. I mean, that, that's what Verena was telling us. Uh, she thought she would clean up her act and do right and, and get it right. Listen, that won't do it. How clean would you have to clean your act up to be? You couldn't clean. The Bible says that God is of purer eyes than to look on sin. He won't even look on it. There's no way you could make yourself pure enough. The Bible says, be perfect even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, none of us are deluded enough to think that we're as perfect as that. So the reality is that all of us have earned a place in hell. But you know what? The good news is that Jesus Christ came and died to pay the price for sin. That he took upon himself to actually pay the price for it. These Sadducees are trying to catch Jesus out when Jesus is hours away from dying to pay the price for their sin. That's what he's going to do. And it had to be Jesus. Nobody else could do it because he was the only one that was perfect. He was the only one that could actually offer himself a sacrifice and pay the price. It had to be him. And Jesus went to the cross. When he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. What's finished? The price has been paid. All of it. From beginning to finish, it's all paid. Everybody's price is paid. Now you say, well, that's great news. Does that mean then that we're all going to heaven? No, it does mean this. Your price has been paid. But here's the deal. Either you accept the gift of salvation because it's a gift, or you reject it by saying no to it. Now, when you accept the gift of salvation, here's what you do. You understand that you're a sinner on your way to hell. 
And it's not just, well, that's the way it is. No, you're a sinner and you've earned a place in hell. But Jesus died to pay the price for your sin. Jesus died to clear the slate, to pay the price for your sin, to put you in a place where you don't have to pay the price. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you will come in your heart to the place where you recognize, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. I don't want to die and go to hell. Lord Jesus, you paid the price for my sin. I believe it. And you call out to him. The Bible says that you can be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a work of God to bring you to conviction, to bring you to that place. But when God brings you there, grab it with both hands. Because you need to be saved. Everybody in this room needs to be saved. You need to be born again. You see, these poor guys are laboring under the illusion that there's nothing out there, so they don't have to worry about it. They just carry it. A lot of people are doing that in this world. And the greatest shock it's possible for for someone to have is to wake up in hell. I mean, Jesus spoke about the rich man in Luke chapter 16 and says this. He says, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes. He thought he was finished. But the truth is, in hell, he woke up, he lifted up his eyes. Listen, that's a terrifying thought. What a shock to wake up in hell and realize you're there forever. But in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Listen, <clears throat> don't go there. You, don't ha- you can't fix yourself. You can't fix your problem. Jesus did. These poor guys, now, that, mind you, they're religious. They go to synagogue. They, they do the stuff. They go to the temple, in fact. They do the business. They're religious. But you know what? They have no idea that there's a heaven. Because you go to a Baptist church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It doesn't fix the problem. Jesus and Jesus alone fix the pro- fixes the problem. So they're laboring under an illusion, and Jesus says, you do err. Guys, you have it wrong. You don't understand. You're missing it. You know what? If you don't know your Bible, and you don't know the power of God tonight, I guarantee you're in error. You need to know the Word of God, and you need to know the power of God because otherwise you're going to end up in error. And living your life in error is foolishness. These guys are living their lives in error. <clears throat> okay, but Jesus in verse 34, uh, he's going to do some wonderful teaching here. And as I say, I'm not sure I would have gotten all of this from a reading, but Jesus, the master teacher, is going to pluck it out and open it up. And he's going to open it up for us too. And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. Now, <clears throat> you know what? In this world, marriage is an important institution. Children are important. We're supposed to repopulate the world. We're supposed to, you know, fill the world. Um, you know, that, that's, that's important in this world. But you know what? When you get to heaven, nobody dies. There's no need for children in heaven. There are no children in heaven, right? Um, now, don't get, listen, a child can die and go to heaven, but nobody's having children in heaven, is what I'm saying, right? There's uh, nobody having children in heaven. There's no need for a marriage in heaven, so there's no need for the institution of marriage. Okay, now, <clears throat> let, me, let me tell you what this passage doesn't say, because I know it's one of those passages that rattles people. It does not say that because there's no marriage in heaven, we won't know anybody, we won't have any affection for anybody or anything like that. It doesn't say that. It just says there won't be marriage, right? There's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage bond in heaven. In fact, it would be a kind of a problem because we go to a marriage supper when we get to heaven. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we get married to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if marriage continued in heaven, what we'd have is we'd have uh, double marriage. 
<clears throat> there's no marriage. But it doesn't say we don't know people. It doesn't say we don't have affection for people. It doesn't say the relationships that we had down here are not important up there. It doesn't say any of that stuff, right? Um, what it does say is there's no marriage in heaven. But they that shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore. Well, hallelujah. Listen, if you have to die, and maybe everybody in this room won't die, maybe, the, the, maybe some of you will actually be alive during the rapture, maybe all of us will. But if you have to die, you're only get to, going to die once. There's no death in heaven. We've all experienced the awful cold claw of death in our lives. When somebody's been snatched away from us and leaves a gaping hole, that never happens in heaven. There's no death in heaven. Neither do they die. And those The people that go to heaven are, are not going to die. They're not going to face death anymore. For they are equal unto the angels. Now that's interesting. By the way, you know what? Angels have ministry. Angels don't just sit around singing choirs, singing in the choir. Angels have ministry. God's got ministry. God's got work for you to do in heaven that, that we probably can't understand at this point, but there's, we're equal to the angels in heaven. We've got ministry. We'll have life. We'll have things to do. We'll be involved uh, when it comes to heaven. Uh, and of the children of God being the children of the resurrection. Now, that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, remember, Jesus is answering their question. Their, their, their premise is, you know, this, you, you saying that there's, that there's a life after death is ridiculous. And we're going to show you how ridiculous it is. Whose wife will she be? Ha, you can't answer, can you? You haven't got, any, you haven't got a clue now. You're really stumped, aren't you? That, that's the whole uh, drive of what they're doing. And Jesus is going to take a verse that they are familiar with because they believe the Pentateuch and he knows it. They believe uh, in, the, in the book of Exodus. He's going to take a verse from the book of Exodus and he's going to prove to them that there is life after death. Right? Now look at it. <clears throat> Genesis 3 verse 6. Exodus 3 verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Okay? <clears throat> now, is Abraham alive or dead at this point? Any Bible scholars out there that can work that out? He's dead, right? Uh, it's over for Abraham. Abraham is dead. Uh, Isaac is dead. Okay, what, what we've got is uh, Isaac is dead uh, and Jacob is dead. There's, there's a 400-year passage while they've been in, in, um, in Egypt. They're all long dead. They're long God, long gone, right? But he says, I am the God. And Jesus takes... In the New Testament, and, and he says, listen, if God says, I am the God, then what he means is they're still alive. He's not the God of people that are dead. What he means is they're still alive. Now, man, that sounds like kind of, you know, like a, like a, 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 a really kind of, you know, flimsy reason to build a doctrine on the resurrection. But Jesus doesn't. What he's doing is he's saying, listen, 
I am the God of thy father and of Abraham and da-da-da-da-da, therefore they're all still alive. Now you know what that does to us? That that's, that's, has incredible implications for us. Right? What Jesus is saying is the words are inspired. Now, not just the thoughts. Not just, you know, the general concepts. You know, well, 95% of it's the Bible. We're pretty happy with that. No, no, no. Forget your 95%. It's all inspired. It's all inspired or it's not inspired. Because you can't take and make such heavy duty out of a verb tense if it's not all inspired. You know that Jesus is saying this passage way back in the book of Exodus is inspired. It's true. Even the tense, I am the God, means they're still alive. Do you get it? Do you catch it? Do you understand it? That what he's saying is that because he says, I am their God, that means they're still alive. Now, the implications for you and I are, you know what? I I wouldn't have gotten that. Not in my morning devotions. I wouldn't have caught that. Except the Lord Jesus had pointed it out to me. I, I wouldn't have caught that. I, w- I, wouldn't have, I would never have jumped off Exodus chapter 3 and started building my doctrine for the resurrection apart from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, <clears throat> um, showing me. Now there's lots of other verses that deal with the resurrection that come later. But they didn't have them. But Jesus takes them and he says, listen, there is a resurrection. Because people still live after they die. So the very words are inspired. That means it's important to you that the words are inspired. By the way, it's important to you what version you use, too. There are all kinds of techniques for translations out there. And the only translation that's going to be really good and helpful to you is a word-for-word translation. One that takes it and goes through it word-for-word and takes the words and brings them in. You know, it's not the most understandable translation that's the best translation, because you're not dealing with just what's understandable. You're dealing with truth that is defined in even verb tenses. So you can't go with, well, here's what I think this might mean. Or here's what it would mean in modern language, I suppose. That's great. That's a commentary. That's what somebody thinks. That's great. What you need is you need a word-for-word translation. And do you know that word-for-word translation is difficult to do? Because it's hard to make sense of it. Listen, how many of you learned Irish when you were kids? Oh, man. This is getting sadder all the time, right? Uh, so what we've got is we've got maybe maybe 25% of us learned Irish when we were kids, right? Now, it was amazing about when you were learning Irish. The words ran back to front, didn't they? That's what happened. I mean, when you were actually doing the translation, the words were often back to front. They were kind of just upside down and inside out. And so that if you were to take the Irish language and translate it into the English language, not only do you have to take the words and interpret what the words mean, but you have to rejig the whole thing. And that's the same with any kind of a translation. You you translate from one language into another, you've got to rejig the whole thing uh, to make it work and to work it through. That's, That's work. That's tough work. Now, what you have in the King James Bible, I'm making, make, making a case for the King James Bible here tonight on this verse. Oh, I won't spend long on it, I promise you, right? Um, but what you have in the King James Bible is you have scholars who undertook to take the Word of God and to interpret it word by word and not to, not to mess it up and not to change it and not to put you in the place where you, know, you, were, looking, you, you, were, you were pointing at a verse like uh, Exodus 3, verse 6, and you weren't sure what it said. They translated it word for word. 
If you look at your Bible, by the way, you'll see lots of italicized pieces. Do you know why they put the italics in? They put the italics in because they wanted you to know, look, this is a word we put in. Now, we believe that it needs to be there, but there's not a word corresponding to it in the text. They wanted to be honest with you. Now, you say, but listen, it's hard to understand. Uh, Well, I I can understand. That is a little bit hard to understand. But, you know, the, the truth of it is, nobody ever said it was going to be easy for me to take the Word of God and understand the Word of God. I was a study to show thyself approved unto God. Listen, if you really want to understand the, the Word of God, you don't need to, but I'll tell you, it'd be a help to you to study the languages behind it. Because it's that important. Because here was the problem for these guys. Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. I want to know everything it's possible for me to know about what the Bible is saying. And I don't want to rest it just on broad generalities. And it's a neat story. Listen, you need to know what it says. You need to know the words and the verbs, and you need to know all of it. And by the way, you don't need to know Hebrew and Greek in this, this day and age to actually get all that. You can get yourself a computer program, and it'll give you all of it. You can get yourself a computer program that will give you the word tenses and everything else. <clears throat> you know, listen, you can do Anybody in this room can do it. If you have a mind to, you can do it. It's not hard. But understand this, that <clears throat> what you've got in the King James Version is you've got a sharp knife of the word. Now look, you want it as sharp as you can possibly get it. So you know what I would say to you? Get over the difficulty. Get over the difficulty. Study it. Learn. Grow. Get yourself a little booklet with all the, the, the obsolete words in it. There isn't a translation out there like it for its purity. Get over the difficulties and use it. And you know what you'll find? You'll find it's not so hard. And you know what else you'll find? Because it's written in Elizabethan English, it actually flows when you begin to get used to it. Do you know if you want to memorize Scripture, the easiest to memorize is the, is, um, uh, the King James? Because it flows like poetry. <clears throat> you say, it's hard. Right? How many of you have ever seen the modern slang, modern slang version of the Bible? Isn't that ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, who would take the Word of God and put it in slang? You know, I, I'm sure they've done it. They'll have a text version of the Bible, you know? Uh, it, it'll be where the words are abbreviated and short. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, you know, they will have, Listen, you don't do that to the Word of God. It's too important. You do err, not knowing the Scriptures. You want to know it. You want to know it. You want to know the truth of it. You want to know what it says because it's important. Here we have an important doctrine like the resurrection. These guys don't know there's a heaven and a hell. And the reason they don't know there's a heaven and a hell is because they don't know the word of God. And Jesus is going to build them a doctrine that they could have seen themselves if they'd studied closely enough. When I study that close to the scripture, I want something that's sharp. Something that lays it out like it is. That takes work. So get over the scruples about the Bible and say, listen, I'm going to commit myself to it. And I'll guarantee you, after a while, you'll never look back. After a while, you'll never want to go back to something else. <clears throat> you know, a blessing for you, those of you that really were using the King James since you, since you got saved. It makes it much easier. But listen, you can actually take it and use it, and you'll find this a tremendous help. And it's important that you actually work on it, that you, that you come to the place, because you need something as sharp as that. All right, I'm going to get off that. Right? Back, to, back to Luke chapter 12, right? Sorry, Luke chapter 20. So, 
So what you've got is Jesus is saying to them, ye do err not knowing the scripture, nor the power of God. Now, the second thing they need to understand is they need to understand the power of God in the situation. You know what they're, they're, what they're, they're thinking regarding uh, the resurrection? was saying it was, God has no power. They're posing a question to Jesus. They're trying to catch him out. And really, they say, well, God's got no power. I mean, yeah, we, we know there's a God out there. But as far as resurrection, there's, there's nothing like that out there. And they didn't understand the power of God. Now, your understanding of the power of God will come from a faithful reading of the word of God, where you look to God and depend upon God to show you the truth. <clears throat> but you need to understand the power of God. God can do literally anything. God can save a soul from hell. Don't you believe that? But if you're not saved, you need to, you need to get on the right side of that one. You need to get, get to the place where you're saved. That, that's the most important thing in life. But God can do anything. God can take and God can lift us up. You know, I've never seen heaven. You've never seen heaven. But you know, one day, I am sure I am going to heaven. I am absolutely sure. Why? Because the Word of God says so. The Bible says so, and I trust the Word of God. So we need to understand that uh, as we look to the Word of God and as we understand the Word of God and as we take the Word of God on as being true, that we come to a place where certain things are inescapable, that we come to a place where, listen, there are truths that we can build doctrines. And I know doctrine's a bad word in this day and age. And I know everybody looks at doctrine and thinks, oh, come on, it just cause, get, gets people in the flesh and gets people. No, it doesn't. Doctrine's essential. If somebody doesn't know that they're going to be raised from the dead, Listen, they're going to live completely different. And all doctrine has impact on your life. Listen, if I believe in the second coming, and I do because the Bible says Jesus is coming back, and he can come back any day, it affects my life. Because you know, all my plans might, go, might just be gone because Jesus called me out of this world. Doctrine is important. It's important that you look to and that you understand doctrine. You see, these poor guys <clears throat> didn't know. They had it all back to front. Now, um, you know what? I don't think for a moment that what they said was, they said, uh, they said, wow, we need to start believing in the resurrection. You know what they did? <laughs> they walked away saying, oh, he won. Because their question wasn't genuine to begin with. They weren't really looking for an answer to their question. They were playing a game. They were trying to trick him. But you know what? If you're looking for real answers to real questions, God will give them to you. The Bible says this, if you will do his will, then you will know whether it's of him or not. If you basically, if you will do God's will, that you will know the truth. That when you're willing to say in your heart, listen, I, I want to know truth. And you take this book and you come to God and you say, Lord, I need to know. Lord, I need to understand. Lord, show me. Do you know what will happen? The Holy Spirit will come down on your side and he will begin to show you and explain it to you. Now, he won't just show it to you and explain it to you so you can say, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Hey, oh, there's one now. I can go, I can go and stump, uh, stump somebody with a hard question. No, no, no. He's going to show it to you so that you can apply it and live it. And as you apply it and live it, there's going to be blessing in your life. But he wants you to take the Word of God, and he wants you to look to it, to know it, to understand it, and to grow in it. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to close now. Let me ask you just two questions. Right. <clears throat> First of all, are you willing in your heart to obey the Word of God? Are you willing to do what God will tell you to do? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, and do exactly what God will tell you to do? That's a critical issue to you in your life. You know, <clears throat> there's no point in you expecting to know the Scripture if you won't. The Bible says, be ye doers 
and not hearers only. Are you willing to take the word of God and understand it and apply it? That means you get rid of all the excuses, you get rid of all the justifications, get rid of all the rationalizations, and you do exactly what God says do. Nothing makes the, makes the, the word of God truer in your life than when you come to the place where you actually do that. When you come to the place where what you do is you say, yes, Lord, and you obey the word of God. Second thing is, are you saved? Are you born again? If tonight a bomb was to drop on this building and it was the, the end for all of us, where would you go? In fact, not where would you go, but where would you be? Because you're always going to be somewhere. You're either going to be here, you're going to be in heaven, or you're going to be in hell. And if you go to hell, there's no way out of it. That's terrifying. There's no way out of it. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to pray. Father in heaven, we do ask you, Lord, that you would take and you would open our hearts to receive all that you have for us tonight. My Lord, bless, Lord. May, may not one slip by May there not be one that walks away tonight in error because they don't know the scripture. Oh, blessed spirit of the living God, you're showing us your way and your will. Would you open hearts to receive it tonight? With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask you this. Could you honestly say tonight, listen, I'm saved and I know I am. I know I'm going to heaven. I could have given a testimony. Lift your hand if you could. I'm saved and I know I am. I know I'm going to heaven when I'm done. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I get it all right because I don't. But I know there was a time in my life when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and he has saved me. Just put your hands up for a second. You know for sure. Right? You're sure. Amen. That's terrific. Great bunch of you. Now, you're here tonight. Put your hands down. You're here tonight and you couldn't honestly say you're sure. But you want to be sure tonight. Tonight you want someone to take the Bible and to show you. And we'll do that for you. We'll get somebody to take the Bible and show you how you can be sure you're going to heaven. But you're here tonight and you want to be sure. You want someone to take the Bible and show you. Would you just lift your hand? Not embarrass you, not point you out. Just lift your hand. You want someone to take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Anybody at all tonight? Amen. See that hand. Anybody else tonight? Amen. Anybody else tonight? You want someone to take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? All right, I'll get someone to help you later on. Let me ask you one other question. You're here tonight. But listen, looking at the Word and looking at the Sadducees, you would say in your heart, you know what? I'm in error because I don't know the Word of God, but by God's grace, I'm going to put that right. I'm going to get to know the Word of God. I'm I'm going to make that the goal of my life, that I know the Word of God, that I spend time in it, and that I live in the Word of God. I'm going to actually make that important in my life. I'm going to study the Word of God. I don't want to be someone that lives in error because I don't know the Word of God. Would you lift your hands so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. Now, Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you, Lord, for these men and their trick question for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for a Savior who is equal equal and more than uh, able for every challenge that came his way. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, Uh, Would you take and work your word in our hearts, Lord, that we live lives that are, uh, Lord, worthy of our calling. And Lord, for those that raised a hand tonight as far as salvation is concerned, Lord, may tonight be the night uh, when they turn to you and they recognize the reality of their need and, Lord, they're saved. In Jesus' precious name, amen.